0: Jewish Audio on Chabad.org Rambam, Hilcha Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, Padik, <clears> Hamisha <throat> Esnim, chapter 25. We now get into the nitty-gritty of the laws of Muktzah. Muktzah means set aside for something. Certain things by rabbinic decree have been declared muktzah, untouchable. On Shabbos, we shouldn't carry it, we shouldn't handle it. And here we begin with the categories of muktzah. There are various types of utensils and vessels in life. As it relates to Shabbos, Aleph, Yesh, Kli, Shemalachta, Laheter. <clears throat> there are utensils who are in w- w- which are inherently used for permissible purposes there's no reason we can't use these utensils on Shabbos. the who that would be an example of Hakli shemuter a vessel where it is permissible to do with that vessel on Shabbos as we do with that vessel in the weekday. So on Shabbos, <clears throat> whatever the vessel is made for is okay to engage in. Kigain, for example. What's an example of a keili of a vessel whose use is permissible on Shabbos? The primary use is, an, is a Shabbos use as well. For example, a cup to drink from. You're allowed to drink from a cup on Shabbos. Not a problem. So therefore, it's okay. It's a keli, it's a vessel. It's a utensil whose use is a permissible use on Shabbos. Or, a plate with which to eat. A knife which is used to cut meat or bread. Vikurnus, Liftsaya Be'egazim, or a hatchet or nutcracker with which to open nuts. These are all vessels where that which we do with them during the week is permissible to be done on Shabbos. And needless to say, these are okay to use on Shabbos as he will go on, but now he's just giving the categories. Bays, category two. The yeshkli or keli, there is another ve- uh, utensil or vessel. Another category, shemalachta <laughs> its essential use is a Sabbath forbidden use. Behu, and that would be defined as hakli, shaoser lasis le bishabas a utensil, a vessel which is forbidden to be used on Shabbos for the Purpose for which it is ordinarily used. Kigain, for example. machteshes, a grinder. We're not allowed to grind on Shabbos. Re'chayim, a mill. You're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. O tzibohet. And many other examples. She'osur lichtesh velitchein. B'Shabes, it's forbidden to crush or to grind. These are major violations, major prohibitions, labors of Shabbos. What are you going to do with the grinder on Shabbos? It's Kehli Shemalachte Le'iser. Its primary function is a forbidden Sabbath function. So these are the two categories. Kali Shemalachte Le'heter, a utensil which, whose primary use is a Sabbath type use. Kali Shemalachte Le'iser, a utensil or vessel, whose primary use is not a Shabbos use. Now, details, Gimel, Kol, Klisha, Malachte, Leheter, when you have a utensil, whose primary purpose is a permissible one. In that case, bain shahoyah shall eights whether it was made of wood, a Cheres, or it's made of earthenware, Shal even, or it's made of stoneware, a Mateches, or it's made of metal, makes no difference. Muter, letalk, leh, Bishabbas, it may be used and moved, On the Shabbos, not a problem. Now, why would I want to move this or carry it on Shabbos? There could be three possibilities. Possibility number one is being bishvil atzmei Shokeli. Whether for the sake of the utensil bain or for its place bain gufoy or for the purpose for which it is permitted so it appears that the first category bishfil atsmichokely means to benefit the vessel itself as we will learn so there are three possibilities here either to benefit the vessel i think a simple example is if the vessel is going to get wet you move it out of the water area or, you need the place where the vessel is to do something else in. Or, you need to do with that vessel what it's made for. You need to cut challah with it. So, that's the rule with Kayli Shemalachte leheter, with a vessel utensil, which is a permitted use utensil. Then you can move it for its own benefit. To use its place or for its ordinary use, the whole c, but any utensil whose primary usage is a forbidden one on Shabbos, like we learned earlier. the crusher or the grinder, or the mill or the grinder Bain shahaya shall eight whether it was made out of wood, a or earthenware, I or stoneware, matachas or metal in that case it may be permitted to be moved on Shabbos. it may be you it may be moved for the per, for a permitted purpose or for its place but for the benefit of the vessel itself, also it's forbidden. What does that mean? Now he gives examples. Four. He can move a wooden bowl, to eat in it, or to sit in its place, if the bowl is where he wants to sit, or it shouldn't be stolen. And that is the category of Bishvil Atzma described earlier for the sake of the vessel so it should not be stolen or if he moved it out of the sun so it shouldn't become parched or cracked so it shouldn't be saturated with water and deteriorate this type of vessel which is a plate a permissible vessel may be moved for any reason because you want to save it, you want to use it, or you need its place. Because its function is a permissible one on Shabbos. Or the examples were vessels, vessels, utensils, with, whose primary use is a forbidden use. How does that work? You can move a grindstone or a millstone, a, grind, a grinder or a mill on Shabbos, if you want to use it to break nuts on it, because you're allowed to break nuts on Shabbos, or you want to use it to step up on the bed, that is because you want to make a permissible use out of this forbidden object, like cracking nuts or using it to ascend on the bed, or you need its place. But being that its primary use is a forbidden one, you cannot move it so that it shouldn't break, so that it should not be stolen. But there are other examples it shouldn't get wet, it shouldn't get parched, and so on. So, what we learned so far is the difference between the difference between the Utensil, whose primary use is a permissible one, and the utensil whose primary use is a forbidden one, is can you move it for its own benefit? The forbidden use one, no, because it's primarily a forbidden use, therefore don't touch it, unless you need its place, or unless you're going to use it for a permissible activity. Vav, six. Next category. V'cheo she'enekli. Something that's not even called a vessel. It's not even called a utensil. Like what? K'gayna Like stones. A stone is not a utensil. It's a stone. Umois money. Money is not a utensil. It's currency. V'keides, or beams. V'konim, Rods and beams. These are not utensils, they are stones, coins, rods, and beams, or kayetzabahem, or anything similar, also the tautulam It's forbidden to move them or carry them to begin with. That's called muktah. You have no business carrying a stone. What are you going to do with a stone? What are you going to do with money? What are you going to do with a rod? What are you going to do with a beam? Evin gedelo. What about a large rock? A kayetegedelo, or massive beam, even though it's so large, you need ten people to move it. If it can also be described as a utensil, you can do something with it. In that case, there's no reason that you can't move it. So, for example, if a person designated that thing, that's called hachana. You designated it and prepared the stone or the board for specific use, you say, we're going to sit on this and have our class on Shabbos. We're all going to sit on this rock. In that case, you're allowed to sit on Shabbos. So the rock became a chair, a bench, the beam became a bench, because it was designated before Shabbos, and we will learn, designation called hachana. Is an important instrument of Shabbos. It depends what you're thinking on Friday before the sun sets. You're going to do with this object. If it's an out-of-bounds object, then it's out of bounds. If you say, hey, this may be a beam or a rock, but I'm going to sit on it. We're going to have a group sit, a group chat. That's good. Let's say you're doing a weekend somewhere, and you say, oh, look at this massive rock. We could uh, have a Saturday afternoon gathering here. You got it. Now he says, Dalsis habayis." What about doors, house doors? Even though a door can be described as a utensil, leihuch But doors are not designated in one's mind to walk around with. Doors hang in door frames. It's interesting the the, the, the place doors once took and once held in people's lives. When I was a kid in Newark. And uh, we used to see different people who built a sukkah on sukkahs. Do you know what the sukkahs were made of? Old doors. Every single sukkah was made of door, 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 door. They used to connect the doors. So here you see the doors had a, like, like this fascinating, like, like, what are we going to do with the door? It's an old door. Let's do something with it. So that's why he says a door is a vehicle, it's a vessel, it's a utensil, but, but it's made to hang in a door frame. So leave it alone on Shabbos. The fecal, therefore, him the sporku. If it came off the hinge, I fill the Bishabas on Shabbas, ain't mitalku you don't touch it. V'chein offer. So also earth, Vahil sand, or v'hames a corpse, a body. Ain' mezizin oisim im They may not be moved because they're not. They have no practical use of Shabbos. We also the this last law here needs to be understood. The Gemara says, the Talmud says, that a seven-month pregnancy could survive. It's called azibital. It's called a child that was born after seven months of pregnancy. A nine-month pregnancy, even a moment into the ninth month, could survive. It's called, it's called full term. An eight-month pregnancy cannot survive, says the Gemara. And therefore, the halacha says that if a baby is born in the eighth month, assuming you really know how to calculate the term, then that baby is not going to survive. So therefore, the question is, if the baby is not going to survive, are you allowed to touch the baby on Shabbos? Because the baby is going to die for sure. And now we have to just pause for a moment and look into note 12 here where he states that this ruling is obviously no longer followed. Since at present, number one, it's impossible to determine exactly when a child was conceived, therefore we cannot be certain of the length of time the mother was pregnant. So you don't know if it's seven or eight or nine, sometimes it can be very confusing and this goes by days. Furthermore, and this is very important, that the advances in medical technology have enabled us to save the lives of many babies. The neonatal units who would surely not have survived in previous generations, the incubators. At present, it's a mitzvah to attempt to save the life of all premature babies, even if doing so involves performing a forbidden labor on the Shabbos. So that goes without saying, but in the Gemara, there's a lot about Ben Shmona. So in that case, this Ben Shmona might not be able to be touched on Shabbos as well, which is a halacha that we do not observe for the above two reasons today. Reason number one is the calculations are not exact. Reason number two, medical uh, science has moved forward where almost any premature baby can possibly be saved. The miracle of the neonatal unit. Zion 7. One may carry a utensil, even a forbidden vessel. Even not for its usage, to do something with it which it was not primarily created for. So, even though that which it was primarily made for is a forbidden usage on Shabbos, if you use it for something else, why not? Kate, as they used to say back home, Gimme a for instance, A person could take a hammer. What's a hammer? A hammer is a tool which is used for building. Are you allowed to use a, a hammer on Shabbos? Of course not. Unless you want to crack nuts with it. Then it's a great nutcracker. So that's an example. A hammer to, cut, to crack nuts. Kurdem lachtech bey develah. Another example. A hatchet. A hatchet is a forbidden utensil. Unless you want to cut a dried fig and it's so stuck, it's not gonna work without a hatchet. It's called a hatchet job. Megero, or a saw le gorbos hagvina, to cut cheese, you have hard cheese. Sometimes you need a saw to cut the hard cheese. I once had cheese like that. I saw it. That was a two-thirds of a pun. Magrefa, uh, a rake. Use a rake, a garden rake. Ligraf beis hagregis to collect the dried figs that spilled all over the floor. A winnowing shovel or a pitchfork cotton to feed a child. A spindle or a weaver's shuttle. Those are sharp, sharp, pointy objects to pierce something with. A sack maker's needle to pick a lock, because it's a good lock pick. a millstone, to sit on it. Millstones make great benches. Here we have a list of forbidden items, which if used for permissible uses, why not? Or a person may carry a sewing needle. That is whole, not broken, to remove a splinter. So from here we learn a couple things. Number one is that a sewing needle, its, its essential usage is forbidden, because you're not allowed to sew on Shabbos. It's one of the major labors. We learn from here that you're allowed to, under certain conditions, move splinters, remove splinters. And you may use the sewing needle to remove a splinter. I grew up with my mother removing splinters with sewing needles. That's if it's a complete needle. However, if the head or its point is broken off, the point, you can't move it. Because then it's not a real sewing needle. It's a broken sewing needle. But if it was still a mold, not completed, where the hole in it was not yet made, because that's coming next, then it's usable. You may use it for a permitted use, such as removing a splint. Now we come to a different category. So, so far we had three categories. We had the vessel, which is made for permissible use, such as a fork or a knife. We had the vessel, which is a forbidden-use vessel. We had the non-vessel, like the rock or, or the coin or what have you. Now we come into another category. It's called mukta machmas, chisaron, kis. mukta machmat, chisaron, kis. It's mukta it's untouchable, because you'll ruin it. And therefore, I'd rather you not touch it. What are we talking about? Nine kokeshamaqbadolla. Any utensil. Where its owner is very particular. Careful. Shema Yifchasudamab. Don't touch that, it's expensive. To gain, for example, Kalim Hamuksim You have a storekeeper who says to his guests, Don't touch that, it's merchandise. I have to sell it to the customers. You'll ruin it for me. So you're not allowed to touch it. Vikayim are very expensive items. Don't touch that. You know how much that cost? Like the four thousand dollar vase, the one the guests always drop. Shemak v'daleim Postu, where the owner is concerned that they not be ruined, that they not incur loss. In that case, because of chisaron kis, because you're going to lose money, and that's a mindset. You don't want people touching it. Also, the on Bishabas for that reason alone, you're not allowed to touch it on Shabbos. And he gives some examples here. A large saw. A craftsman saw. Not the, not the Sears Company craftsman. Or the knife-like point of a plow the most important part of the plow, or a butcher's knife, what if somebody's going to want to cut an apple, and he's going to go over to a butcher and take his butcher's knife. He said, don't touch that knife, I make a living from that knife. A leather worker's knife, a carpenter's plane, like Air Force One, no, not that kind of plane. Vikurnas shalbisamim, a perfume maker's mortar, or All of these are very expensive items which people do not intend for them to be touched on Shabbos. Mukhtza, machmas, chisaron, kis. It's not touchable because it's very expensive and you never intended for people to touch it. It's all about intention. Now, now you come to a vehicle, a vessel, a utensil, which is forbidden because it's being used this Shabbos for a forbidden use. It's not that its general use is forbidden. It's not like a hammer which is used to bang nails in. But I want to bang nuts, it's okay. This is something that right now is being used for a forbidden usage. Like What? For example, a candle that's burning on Shabbos. You're not allowed to touch it, because you're not allowed to burn on Shabbos. I mean, obviously, if you light it before Shabbos, it's okay, but you're not allowed to use fire on Shabbos. So it's not touchable. Or the candelabra, upon which the candle was. Even when it's extinguished, the candelabra has been designated back Shabbos to contain a candle. The And a table that had money on it, because the table became a bossis, became a pillar, a foundation for the money. So the table becomes an extension to the money. For this reason, by the way, I believe, let's say it's Friday afternoon, and you're about to light the Shabbos candles. If you take the Shabbos candles and put them on your dining room table, and light your Shabbos candles, the whole table becomes a trait to the candles. So you wouldn't be able to touch the whole table. For that reason, you put the challah down first. You put the kiddush cup down first. You set the table. Now I'm putting the candles on it. It's just one of many things. So, otherwise it becomes a bossis. It becomes subservient to the candles if it's only holding candles or, or, or money even though the candle was extinguished or the money's gone also the title forbidden to touch because any vessel which was forbidden to touch at dusk the mindset of dusk determines the reality of the whole Shabbos for that vessel even though the money's gone but the Night table upon which the money stood is still a money night table. (laughs) Yud Aleph, next category, something that is so repugnant, something that is so disgusting, I never intended to touch it on Shabbos. Not because it's expensive, but because it's abhorrent. The opposite. A vessel, utensil, which is set aside as untouchable, because it's repulsive. An old kerosene lamp. It's disgusting, you're going to get filled with kerosene, don't touch it. Or what they call a chamber pot, a toilet. These days we have plumbing, we're very blessed. But back then they had chamber pots. You may move them on Shabbos if it's required, especially so that it's not abhorrent to the people if you need to, but better not to. The doors of any utensils, meaning any portable furniture doors, which came off, table for example, doors of a box, a chest, or a cabinet, whether they came off on Shabbos, whether they came up before Shabbos, those are not house doors, those are just chest doors, they are permissible, or another rule, any utensil which broke, on Shabbos, whether it broke before Shabbos or Shabbos, told him, the broken pieces are permitted to be used just as the whole entity was permitted. As long as you can do something similar with the broken piece. Something similar to what you did with the whole. Kate said, for example, Shivrei areva, the broken pieces of an eating trough can be used to cover the opening of a jug. Broken pieces of glass can be used to cover the opening of a flask. Also, anything similar. But if the pieces are useless, also the Talpah, it's forbidden to move them at all. 13 Yud Gimel. Covers of anything may be moved on Shabbos. But who, my mom should live and be well, always said, you know, today there are big, massive stores. Toys R Us and all those fancy stores. You take the kid and they're, I don't want this. And, okay, I'll take this. She says, when I was a kid, we used to play with pots and their covers. That was our toys. Here, here's a pot, here's a spoon. Knock yourself out. And we loved it, she says. She grew up during the Depression. So here's the, the pot covers, you know, they're like pretty important stuff. If there was a vessel, a utensil, connected to the ground, for example, a sunken cask, it's a cask embedded in the ground, and it has a cover ground level, if its cover has a handle, metallic, and I say, of course you can... Take it, but if it doesn't have a handle, then it doesn't seem to have been designated for use. Don't touch it. So also, the coverings of cisterns, or ditches, I guess in our culture you'd say a manhole cover. Unless it has a handle, the cover of a stove, an oven, even though it has no handle, because it is a utensil. And oh. Now comes a situation where fourteen There's two things: thing one, you're not allowed to touch it. thing two, you are permitted to touch it. They are adjacent, one to the other. One is on the other. One is in the other. When you take one, when you move one, you'll move the other. You have a permissible and a forbidden object, which you are going to move. If you move the permissible, the forbidden will move. If you need the permissible object, go move it. Knock yourself out. Even though the forbidden object is moving along with it, it's okay. Because it's not your intent. It's just a byproduct. But if what you really need to move is the forbidden object, That's what you need. You figure, okay, I can grab it by the permissible object. Not so good. For example, give me a for instance. When a fig is buried in straw. So there there are various... Uses for straw. There are permissible uses for straw. There are forbidden uses for straw. We're assuming that this is the straw that is designated for forbidden use. Which we're going to talk about soon. Or a cake, a pastry, is sitting on top of coals. The coals are forbidden. The pastry is delicious. Then you pierce them with a spindle, a bechirkor, with a weevil shuttle. You. Get it? You. When you take it, even though hey, let's let's be honest, you're going to move that straw, which is not supposed to be moved. You're going to move those coals, which are not supposed to be moved. There's discussion whether the coals are hot or they're dead. Turnips or radishes, which were buried in sand, buried in earth. Um, and a portion of their leaves are protruding, you can pull out the vegetable on the Shabbos. We're not talking about removing them from the earth. They're just sitting in, in they're, not, they're detached. Even though earth, which is muktzah, is being moved. However, if a loaf of bread, or a child is located on a stone or a beam. So you say, hey, you got the bread on the beam, you got the kid on the beam, so let's carry the beam. No. You can't carry the stone or the beam because of the kid or the bread. Or similar. What if the kid is crying, and the kid says, Daddy, Daddy, the kid is holding a stone. Can I lift up the kid? My son, or grandson is crying, and he's holding something he shouldn't be holding. It's not a problem. But, late dinner, as long as it's not a coin, a valuable coin, because we're concerned, but even though the question is when you're carrying a living thing, it's not really even carrying if, if we're even looking into the carrying area. Or in general, we're concerned now that the coin which is precious will fall and the father will subconsciously pick it up. saw some neck of when a basket has a hole in it and the stone was used to plug the hole. In that case, the stone is not a, whole, it's not a stone anymore. It's a whole plugger. Because the stone became like a wall. What if there was a basket filled with fruit? And there's also a stone, which is not supposed to be handled on Shabbos. If the fruit is like soft like grapes or berries, if you spill them all out on the ground, they're going to get ruined and disgusting and unusable. Because that would be the most logical conclusion: would be you spill it out, and you leave the stone, you take everything else, but you're going to ruin them because they're berries or grapes. They're going to all get all sandy. Nightly, commission commissioner, sure you can pick up the whole basket. She this, a ton for buffer, because if you're going to shake out the fruit, they're going to become dirty in the mud. then came of and our sages did not issue these decrees in a place of great loss. Seventeen when a person forgets a stone at the opening of a jug what does he do? near the opening of a jug there's a stone stones are not kosher for Shabbos he tilts the jug and the stone falls off what if the, stone, what if the jug was between amongst many other jugs there's no room to tilt it's not tiltable you lift it up, put it somewhere else, and there you tilt it to have and the fellows the stone falls, similarly speaking, somebody forgets money on the pillow and he needs the pillow, he shakes the pillow and the money falls off, if he needs the place of the pillow, he takes the pillow with the money, but if he placed the money on the pillow before Shabbos or he placed it there with intention that becomes forbidden even if the money or the stone was subsequently removed on Shabbos because it became a base as we talked earlier for a forbidden item it was with intent 18 A stone that is placed in an earthenware bucket for weight. If you fill up water with it or stuff with it, you draw water with this bucket, and it doesn't fall out, then it's an extension of the bucket. Then you can fill with it, because it's a weight. Then you don't beg it. What if you have a garment hanging on a reed? Then you can slip it off the reed. Because reeds are not touchable on Shabbos. What if there are fruits, produce, that are forbidden to eat? Why would produce be forbidden to eat? For example, fruits, produce, which have not yet been tithed. The law is that truma, 2% or so, have to be given to the Kohen. 10% or so has to be given to the Levi. And then of the leivies, 10%, another 10% has to be given to the Kohen. Even if they're not the primary type of produce, which biblically needs to be tithed, but they are rabbinic type produce, so it's only a rabbinic issue. Or, it's the first tithe. It's the tithe to the leivies. Where its tithe has not yet been given to the Kohen of it. A trumot or its the Kohen's gift, which became ritually impure, not edible, has to be burned. A mysershanihag, or the second tithe, which people would take to Jerusalem, or something that was sanctified. Now both the second tithe and the sanctified would be redeemed with money usually. Shele Nibdukil they were not properly redeemed yet. Also, the talcum, all of the above, one may not touch them because you can't do anything with them on Shabbos. How can you touch them? They're useless. However, there's another law, and that's a word we need to become used to because it's a word we're going to find repetitively. Demai. What is demai? Do mai. This what? Demai is food where you're not sure if the tithes has been removed or not. Therefore, by Torah law, you don't have to do it. By rabbinic law, you do have to do it. That's called demai, When you're unsure whether this food, this produce, has been properly tithed. By rabbinic law, you have to. So the halacha is that you shouldn't eat it until you tithe, unless it's urgent, such as poor people. So being that you can use this for poor people, you can touch it on Shabbos. Hel v'roi because it has a use... Give it to poor people, the Hegdush done, or the second tithe we talked about, or the sanctified. That was redeemed. When somebody redeems something, like the second tithe, or hegdish, he has to add a fifth. So to speak, as a redemption price or a penalty. What if he redeemed it, but did not yet add the fifth? That's fine, because the redemption was done, and you owe the fifth. The fifth is a debt. That's why you can touch it. Chav, 20, metalkal, yisrael truma pishen ro An Israelite can touch Kohen food called truma, even though he can't eat it. But it, the Kohen could eat it. Or metalkal, truma, tmei, yim, atayro, Or, ritually impure truma may be moved together with ritually pure, or with everyday food. if they were both in the same vessel, by medvaramu, when there's a supply, kisho ha-yesa, if they're pure. Clean Trumbo was below. And they would get dirty if, if you spill them out. But if they were nuts or almonds, which will not get dirty because they have shells, you can turn it over. You could take the pure or the mundane and leave the impure, which is untouchable, behind. If you need the place, whether the pure is above, below, you can move everything together. And of course, we have to understand the scenario, how it is that the pure and the impure are there together, and one does not affect the other, but that's a different conversation. Twenty-one What if there was a row of stones? Which one thought about during daylight on Friday. He said, ah, this is a wonderful row of stones, I'm going to use them for my group. We're going to have my, our Torah class there. Im If he had in mind to do it, you may sit on Shabbos on these stones. But if you didn't think about it, you just happened to bump into it on Shabbos, then it's forbidden because you didn't designate it in your mind. The branches of a date palm that was used for, that was gathered for kindling wood, Kindling wood should not be touched on Shabbos. And he says, you know what? These are good mats. We can sit on them. Now he may move them. Or he doesn't, to, he doesn't even have to think about it. He just has to sit on them. He can now move them. Now we go back to straw. I said earlier, we're going to talk about straw. What is the use of straw? Haka shalamito. Straw that's on a bed, he should not move it with his hand, but he can move it with his body. In the Talmudic era, straw was generally used for the purpose of kindling. Kindling is not kosher uh, on Shabbos. Therefore, it is classified as muktzah, as not touchable. But the Mogen Abram brings down that in his era, straw was used most commonly for animal fodder, For animal food, you're allowed to feed animals on Shabbos. Therefore, it should not be classified as mukta. So straw could be kindling and untouchable, or it could be animal food and touchable. Nowadays, we use the straw to do uh, poles, straw poles. Uh, All right. But if it's animal fodder, we can touch we use the straw to drink soda out of. If there was a pillow or a blanket, you can shake it with your hand. Because once the straw becomes a pillow or a blanket, it's like you sat on it. It has a Shabbat use. What if somebody takes a pile of earth and puts it in his house? If he designated a corner for it before Shabbos, he touches it on Shabbos, and he does whatever he asked to. What did they do those days? So he says here in, in, in a note, in ages prior to household plumbing, earth was necessary to cover urine, Feces, other wastes. Earth was very important. You'd have a pile of earth in your corner. The floor was an earthen floor, and so on. Gimel also levatvel klimeh mehe Okay, this is a pretty important rule which we're going to refer to a lot. And that is a utensil which is permissible to be used on Shabbos is a utensil which is permissible to be used on Shabbos. For me, for an individual, to intentionally undo that use thereby making it forbidden to be used on Shabbos, should not be done unless you have good reason to do it. Because now you won't be able to use that on Shabbos. So we should always be careful never to intentionally remove the permitted use of a vessel by designating that permitted vessel for forbidden use. If we do, then that act removes the permissibility of using that vessel on Shabbos. So that is called betul to undo its readiness for permissible use. Also, it's forbidden to negate the possibility of using a utensil on Shabbos. Because it's like destroying it. You're not allowed to destroy on Shabbos. Kate said, for example, how? what is an example of me taking something that has permissible use, using it for a forbidden use, and therefore negating the possibility of using that vessel again on Shabbos? One should not take a vessel and place it under a candle on Shabbos, the Kabbalah Sashem and to receive the dripping oil, because dripping oil from a candle on Shabbos is forbidden, so you now forbid the whole plate. So you can't use the plate for anything else now. You certainly can't use the oil for salad oil. Because oil, as we learned earlier, in a candle may not be touched, when it drips into the plate, the vessel is going to become forbidden, which was earlier permissible, or anything similar. The for the same reason, a you can't take a receptacle, put it under the chicken to catch its egg that it's about to lay. Because the whole receptacle will become untouchable on Shabbos because the egg, being that it was born on Shabbos, is not touchable. But he can cover it with something because when you cover something with a vessel, you're not containing the vessel. You're just concealing it. In general, you can cover anything that is forbidden to touch and then use it later. You then use the cover later. Because he didn't undo the use of the vessel. At any time, you can uncover Better to cover than to contain. If you're allowed to put a a vessel a receptacle under dripping water, let's say there's water dripping off the roof or out of a drain or whatever, and you're concerned that your house is going to get flooded or something, if it becomes full, you could pour it out and do it again, that's not a problem. You can touch it on Shabbos, provided that it's basically clean water, that if you needed to, you would not hesitate to bathe in that water. Not to drink, but to bathe. But if it's not even fit for bathing, then it's yucky water. Then don't even do it. But if you did, you may move that receptacle. We should not designate a, 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 a chamber pot on Shabbos, but if it is, it is. 25. The word kevel is a word we need to get used to. Kevel means produce, like wine or oil from which truma has not yet been removed. If you have not yet given the kohen, his portion, you're not permitted to eat this. And if you do, it's terrible. That's called tevel, untrumid food. So a barrel of tevel, Shanijbra which was broken. Tevel is not usable on Shabbos, because you didn't give truma yet. So it would be mukta. Maybe, Klee, you bring a vessel. O maniach and place it under it. Why? Why can you even deal with this? Because had you transgressed the Shabbos law of setting aside the Truma on Shabbos, which is a rabbinic law, and you did it anyway, it would be considered done. The, being that you have the potential of doing it, it's as if it's done and you can save it. Another example... Related object, we touched upon this earlier. If there is a candle where sparks are flying off the candle, you can put a plate under it to collect the sparks because you don't want the tablecloth to catch fire, because sparks have no substance. furthermore, you can even take the plate later and use it. There's no substance to sparks. I mean, as long as it doesn't burn the tablecloth, it has no substance a beam that was broken, you have a beam that breaks and you need emergency support instead of the beam. Don't use a bench or bedposts. Unless there is still some space to put it in and out, a safety one. Whatever you want, you can take it out. Again, same logic. You don't want to undo the use of a permitted utensil. A bench is a permitted utensil. You sit on it. Bedposts are permitted utensil. They hold the chewing gum. <coughs> that was a really bad joke. Okay. Persin, <coughs> it also ages me. Persin, machzeles, hagabi, avonim, bishabis. One is allowed to spread a mat over stones on Shabbos. Hagabi, kebet, is the way over a beehive. Bahama in the sun. Remember playing because of Bahama in the sun because of the sun, you want shade or the rain because you want shelter from the rain. What's the problem? The problem is you're trapping the bees, or you're trapping stuff. because he can remove it at any time. It's not really trapping as long as he's not intending to. you can turn the basket on Shabbos, before the chicks overturn a basket onto chicks which they can climb up and down on, because you can touch it after they come down, or anything similar, because any living animals are forbidden to touch on Shabbos, rabbinic decree. And therefore, what happens when an animal falls into a cistern or a water conduit, and it can't get out, So can you climb down and take it out? It's a problem. There's a rabbinic decree against using, against touching animals on Shabbos. The best thing is if you can give the animal its needs by throwing its food and its stuff into the cistern on Shabbos and wait till Saturday night. You support it by giving it whatever it needs and you wait till Saturday night. But if not, it's suffering. Maybe, then you just bring pillows and blankets and you throw them in the cistern under it to build up a platform. We also, also, if it climbs out, that's fine. Even though you're doing what we just said you shouldn't do. You're undoing the use of the pillows and the blankets because you're soaking them. Our sages were concerned with the pain the animal is feeling. So it's okay to undo the use of stuff. The One should not take the animal by hand, and I'm reading from a note here. Uh, there are sages, there are authorities who are more lenient and maintain that even the latter prohibition is waived because of the animal's suffering. So we don't want the animal to suffer. Uh, the latter authorities rule that one may rely on this decision, a situation where a great loss will be incurred. They add, and all agree, that one may instruct a non-Jew to lift the animal from the cistern, and so on. So the torah is very sensitive to the sufferings of an animal. So you can't remove an animal for, or a, a bird from a courtyard, but you can guide them until they enter. You can support cabs and ponies as they walk. What about a runaway chicken? A chicken then one may not kind of guide it. Because it will keep slipping. You'll grab it, it slips out. You'll grip it, it grabs out. And you don't want, God forbid, its wings to be turned off. Turn off. First of all, it's forbidden to do on Shabbos. Second of all, it's painful. You can kind of guide it until it enters. End of 25.